Welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Again, we're going to be in Luke 15 today, looking again at the, the story of three sons. And before we begin, I need to uh, let you, first of all, get your place in the Scriptures, but also to give you some information that's very important about Gene Nicholson's uh, arrangements. And so uh, here's the arrangements for Mrs. Nicholson. It's tomorrow here at the church in this facility, and visitation is from 1 to 2 o'clock, and the service begins at 2 o'clock tomorrow, and it all, everything again will be here. And she was a, um, a wonderful supporter of the church, and I know that you're going to be in prayer for that family and, and praying for her family in the new year as well. The second thing I want to encourage you to be aware of is we are still looking to try to reach a goal for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and 100% of those dollars go directly to international missionaries. It goes directly into the accounts of missionaries around the world in places where the gospel has never penetrated, and the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention is very, very much intentionally striking at places in the world that are unreached and unengaged, and they do that in the, the lion's share of people's um, funding for, for being missionaries comes through Lottie Moon. So around the, around the uh, sanctuary, we place some envelopes. They have different looks to them, but they should say Lottie Moon on them. And if you're interested in giving a gift, um, you can do that all the way through the end of the church here. And I would definitely, and we're asking every single church member here to give something, whether it's just one dollar and participate and use that as an offering, uh, even of thanks back to the Lord for somebody in your family. Also, I, I want to echo what Kevin said, and I'm especially thankful that y'all have given gifts to our staff because our staff here is awesome. And I just uh, am so thankful. I really didn't know y'all were going to do that. And I'm, I, that was a surprise to me, but I'm thankful not so, not so much for myself as, as much as I am for the staff that works so hard. And they, they are incredible and supportive, and I love them, and we're blessed with them. And we want to do everything we can to support our staff and to be you know, fair and right with our staff. And I'm so thankful for the gift that you gave to them. And then finally, I want to say thank you for being here today because it's a miserable day outside. And I'm sitting here. I, I, it's kind of peaceful. Hey, look, don't fall asleep with that rain on the roof. I mean, if there's ever a day you're going to sleep in church, it's the day. So please stay awake today and, and use the rain. You know, we're so thankful that uh, the rain falls and we know it has to fall and, and make um, everything new again. So uh, let's just thank the Lord for the rain today and see it as a positive. But thank you for coming and fighting through the weather to be here on such a, a rainy, cold day. As a church family, we've been looking at Luke 15 in a sermon series entitled Relentless. And what we're striving to do is to, to understand the relentless heart of God to seek and to save people that are lost like you and me. And so the purpose has really been uh, to understand the heart of God in an overarching way. But one of the other purposes has been simply not to miss Christ at Christmas. I mean, I, I went through several years when I had small children, and, and I can just remember, I think we miss Christ this Christmas, you know, thinking that to myself. And so as a pastor, I want to be intentional in leading our church to really focus in on the heart of what Christmas is all about, and it's the gift of a Savior. 
And so that's a big part of what we're, we're trying to, to do. And then also a second purpose that kind of comes out of that is to prepare for 2020. I don't know about you, but um, I'm hoping that 2020 is the, my best spiritual year. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've been born again, and you know you have eternal life because of what Christ has done for you, you should desire to grow spiritually. And if you have no desire to grow spiritually, that's a warning sign. And I pray that you would say, God, yeah, I need to have a heart for spiritual transformation and growth and commitment to the, the Savior that we're talking about today. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's not just to be saved, but it's to be fully devoted and to, to, to learn what it means to take up our cross and let Jesus be the Lord of our life. It means learning how Jesus acted, how Jesus still thinks, how Jesus still lives. And we then say, I'm going to follow that. We're followers of Christ. Where he goes, we go. What he does, we do. What his priorities are become our priorities. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's what it means to be a true Christian. And we, flant, we fan the flames of that in passion by week after week, coming in here and applying the truths of Scripture in, pl- in practical ways and, and revisiting in deeper ways what the gospel cost God and what it does for us and how bad we need a relentless God who pursues us. And that's what we're going to be doing in 2020. So I encourage you to make a decision today. Hey, this is my place to call home. This is where I'm going to serve out and be in community. To be a follower of Christ means to be in the local church regularly. In the Bible, most of the New Testament is directed at the local church, not the individual Christian. And so I want to encourage you to see what God is doing. You're here today because He is relentlessly pursuing you, whether you realize it or not. And He's doing that out of love today. And we've seen this throughout Luke 15. We've already looked at several Parables. We've actually began to look at this parable, but we looked earlier on in, the, in a few weeks ago at the parable of the lost sheep, where there was a 99 sheep that were found, but the shepherd left them and he went to find the one. And we came to realize the shepherd is Christ and we are the one lost sheep. At some point in your life, if you were like me, I was 13 years old. And I thought, you know, I'm a pretty good fellow, and I reckon when I die, if something happens, I'll be an old man, but I'm just going to try to be good enough to get into heaven. And somebody told me what the Bible teaches about the gospel and how God was pursuing me, and I realized I was a lost sheep. And I thank God that he relentlessly came after me as the shepherd. I was the lost lamb. And then there was the parable of the lost coin, where Jesus is that woman who is passionately doing whatever it takes and stopping her life, you know, stop life and turn the lights on and look and sweep and find that one lost coin with passion. And then last Sunday, we began to look at this so-called parable of the prodigal son. But I'm trying to encourage you to realize we really do a mistreatment if all we think the story is about is about the prodigal son who went off the younger son. The story is actually about three sons. And that's what I want to show you today. In this story, the father is a picture of God. And Jesus is revealing the heart of God to us in this story. And again, I want us to revisit the whole story and the event somebody's not been with us 
So I want you to bear with me as we read the first part, and it's really just the setting. And then we're going to jump into our main text today, and we're going to look at the story of the older son. It's just as important to understand what Jesus was saying to the older sons of the world. So let's do this. Let's start back at verse 1 again to understand who Jesus was giving this story to. And then quickly we'll jump through 11 through 24 and then look at our text, which is 25 through the end. So let me go to verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Verse 11, and Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Verse 16, and he said, excuse me, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll go... Get up, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And here is our text. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost 
and has been found. It's really important to understand when we go back that Jesus actually told the story to a very specific audience. The original audience was the group of people that were religious. The original audience were the Pharisees and the scribes that were supposed to be the experts in knowing who God is, what God's heart's like, and what the Word of God teaches us. And yet we read at the beginning of the chapter, they grumbled when they saw Christ was eating with so-called sinners and tax collectors. And so what Jesus does is he develops a story here where the younger son represents that category of people that we think of as sinners, traditional sinners. The prodigal son are people that choose to do whatever they want to do in life, regardless of what the rules of religion say. And so people that are out there saying, I'm going to discover ultimate purpose in life through self-discovery, they are sort of like the younger son. And what we found last week that when we really get into the truth, we find out that we are at times people that rebel against God in that way. And, of course, the Pharisees and the scribes were in their mind thinking, you know, we are not like the younger sons. We're acceptable to God. We're, we're good people. We're good folk. And we will conform to what is right and wrong. We'll conform to morality and we'll get our own selves into heaven. That was their belief. They believed I could stand before God on my own merits. If you ask them, why should God allow you to get into heaven if, when you die? They'd say, because I've been a pretty good person. That was the audience to which Jesus was directing this story. And so the audience today that is really the primary audience is somebody in this audience today here in this story who's saying, I'm, 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 I'm a pretty good person. And uh, I really don't need a Savior. I can save myself. And so what... Jesus is doing here is he's showing us a religious path. And so we want to start with that. We're going to start out looking at the religious path of this older son. But then we want to move to look at the relentless pursuit of a loving father and then finally look at what Jesus' purpose was, his revealed purpose. So we're going to look at the religious path of the older son, the relentless pursuit of the loving father, and then the revealed purpose of the Lord Jesus. And so the story begins, and just to make sure... Uh, you understand it began with a very disrespectful request that can kind of get... I mean, we brought this out last week when we looked at the younger son, and that was he basically said, Dad, I want all the stuff I'm going to get when when you die, and you're sticking around a lot longer than I really wish you were, so go ahead and give me my inheritance now because I really wish you were dead. And it was a very disrespectful thing, especially in a shame and honor culture that we brought out last week. This is a culture where honor of the family and upholding that family name is, uh, you know, the greatest of all things you're supposed to be doing as a son. And to dishonor your parents was a great sin. And it was a violation of the Mosaic Law and the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. And and so when he could have killed his son or he could have, kicked him out of the community, what the father did instead was he he complied with the younger son's request in order to try to maintain his relationship and show that he loved his son unconditionally. 
He did, in fact, do what the request of the younger son was. And he put everything he owned into the names of his two sons. That's where we get the term, by the way, uh, prodigal son, because the product, the word prodigal, we think it means to be wayward, to be living in sin, to be off away from living what you're supposed to be doing. But actually, the word prodigal means to spend everything you have. And so the father spent everything he owned and put it into his two sons' names. And in that culture, that meant the younger son got one-third of the estate and the older son, the older son got two-thirds of it. But then we read uh, or read and covered last week that the younger son quickly took that and took that land that was primarily the wealth of the estate and he cashed it in. He got a wad of cash, sold this ancient family land that was part of what it meant to be an honorable family in the community, and he got out of town. And he went off to a distant country, the Bible says, and he lived a wild life of immorality by traditional standards. And he spent it all, and at rock bottom, he finally had nowhere to go but back home. And he had a plan to come home and work off his sins. And, of course, his father saw him from a distance and issued grace again, unconditionally loving him and offering him an invitation to come back into the household. And that younger son took the opportunity. And the story tells us the younger son was inside the household as part of the celebration when the older son comes home. And we pick up with this religious path of the older son by being introduced to him coming in from the field. And Jesus was making a point right there. He was he was coming in from the field. He was a worker. His life was about working and duty and doing what he was supposed to do as the older son and being out there and working hard and being a good man. He was, in Alabama language, a good old boy. He was a good guy, a good fella, and he was religious. He had religion, and so he comes in from this lifestyle where he is putting a lot of weight against his religious beliefs, and he hears music and dancing and celebration, so he calls a servant and says, what, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come home. Your brother has come home. And in the parable of the lost sheep, everybody came in and celebrated. In the parable of the lost coin, everybody is celebrating when the the lost coin is found. So we're expecting, oh, this is going to be like it was. And the other two, the the older son, he's going to be ecstatic. He's going to praise God. He's going to thank God for his mercy and grace. And He's going to uh, rejoice along with everybody else because he's, the man says, your brother is home. And instead, what we find is quite the opposite. He becomes outraged. And we, we learn that the fattened calf's been killed. And that can kind of pass by an American in a world where we have tons and tons of beef and we don't think much about it, but in the Middle East, it never rains. They would be rejoicing and celebrating on a day like today to get the kind of rains we're getting here today. They have little vegetation. 
And the land doesn't have the capacity to, to carry a lot of cattle on it. So a family might own only a, one or two cows. And it was deemed to be an incredibly valuable asset to a family. It was rare to have beef. In fact, the only time a, a cow was ever killed and eaten was for the greatest of all celebrations. Life-altering celebrations is when you have the fattened calf. And it meant everybody in the community was going to be involved. It was going to be a, a, a statement by the family, by the father, really celebrating the father that his son was home and celebrating the family was whole and to make a statement that this celebration is as important as it possibly can get. And so that along with that and the fact that now the, the, the older son has seen that the younger son has a robe, he has rings, a ring on his finger from the family. It's the family signet where you would stamp legal documents with that symbol of your family. And it was saying, I'm in the family in the sandals, all of this equated very easily to, in the older son's mind to what, what's happening here, and that is reconciliation has taken place and reinstatement. The younger son has been reinstated by the father back into the family at great expense. And the question then is, at whose expense? And the answer is, who owned everything at this point that the family had left? It, everything was in the name of the older son. And so the robe that was given away and the ring that was given away, the sandals that were given away and the fattened calf that was killed was really in the name of the older son. And moreover, this meant that the son had now been reinstated into the family so that when the father actually did pass away, now the younger son was eligible to get one-third of the remaining estate, which was in the older son's name. And the older son did not consent. He said in no uncertain terms, I do not approve of this. I am not willing to absorb this cost. And you see, there's always cost for forgiveness. Somebody has to pay for our sins. In effect, the cost of this celebration was by the older son. He said, I am not willing to absorb it. I do not agree with this. And the father comes out to him and he turns to his father and he says, look. That's strong. That's as strong as it would be today if you turned to your father and you said, look, you. It would be just as disrespectful today, uh, then as it is today. And that's essentially the tone that he addressed his father with. And this is in a public setting, in a community-wide celebration, in a shame and honor culture. And so really what we see here is exactly what the younger son had previously done. He shamed his father and dishonored him in the sight of everybody there. And he says, this son of yours, he has wasted your life. Remember the word wealth in, in Greek is, is bios, meaning life. And he says it again. He wasted your life. And he is your son. He's no brother of mine. And I've been out there day by day doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm abiding by the rules. I'm in the back 40. I'm staying close to you. I'm following your rules. 
I'm staying in line with what you told me to do, and you owe me now. There's a contract here, Father, and here's what it is. I be good, and you let me have the estate and do what I want to do. And he basically said, I'm good enough to get into your household without your permission. And what Jesus was saying at this point is, that is the heart of a Pharisee. And it becomes very clear at this point that the older son is is the group of people that Jesus was talking to. They are the older sons of society because they were saying, we don't need God. We're self-righteous. We are righteous within our own morality. And that, my friends, is sadly the heart of many people that Christians today call sinners. We think of people today oftentimes from our evangelical position as redeemed sinners, and we see that people are in sin and need a Savior, but in their heart of hearts, they think they're good enough to get into heaven. They have a religion, and it's self-righteousness. It's their own ability to save themselves. And so we are that's why we can't get people to come to church, because they don't, they don't need a church. They don't need a Savior. And so in the moment of truth, we see that this older son was really saying, Father, I, didn't, I never really stayed here because I loved you. I never really wanted a relationship with you. I just wanted what you could give me. I just wanted what the estate would offer for me. And so in, in the picture that's developed here, there is a scathing unveiling of the heart of a person who thinks they're good enough to get into heaven. And it is, at their heart, it's rebellion against God and rejection of His love. And so what we begin to see is there's really no difference between the younger son before he repented and the older son. And both people were alienated. Both sons and both types of people today are alienated from the father. And their focus was on having it their way and getting what they could in life and not having a relationship with the father. And the younger son said, I'm coming inside the home and I'm repenting. And so this good son, this older son is outside and he never really changed his heart in this picture. And that is a sad picture of the religious path of the older son. So. Let's move now to think about the relentless pursuit of the loving father. And the fact is that just like with the younger son, the older son had a a father who relentlessly pursued him. In verse 28, the Bible says that the, the father came out to him. And he came out and he says it was he was pleading with him. So this father now leaves this community party that's really the greatest day of his life. In humiliation, the father leaves and he goes out where everybody has to see this. So it's just as embarrassing as when the father had to run out across the desert looking for his younger son last week. Now he's been embarrassed by running out and trying to plead with his older son to come inside to this party. And 
Again, it's just a beautiful picture of what God is like and, and the fact that God is willing to be shamed at our expense in order to bring us back into his household. And he calls him, he says, son. And that word son in the original language is a, is a word that is affectionate. It's technon. In other words, it would be like you turning to your child and, and saying, Son, my beloved child, my little buddy. I call my sons my little buddy. I said, look here. I said, little buddy, listen to me. And what God is saying here, he said, or what Jesus is saying is the father is like, he says, son. And it was a call to him to see you're you're my son. I do love you. And he says, all I have is yours. And that was the truth. And he says, we've got to celebrate that your younger brother. And he calls him, he says, he is your brother. Your brother has come home. We've got to celebrate. And and the question I'm asking you today is, how did the older brother answer? And the answer is, we don't know. And that's an amazing end to the story, because can you imagine... Going to a movie and having this played out. And at the end of the movie, the last final scene is the older brother is confronted by the father. And then it says the end. And we would think, well, what happened? How how did it get resolved? What was the conclusion of the matter? And the question then becomes, why did Jesus end the story in that way? What is Jesus revealing about the human heart? And that brings us to this revealed purpose of the Lord Jesus. The revealed purpose of the Lord Jesus was to bring us to a place where we see we are the older son. That just like we have attitudes in us that make us like the younger son, we also have those same types of attitudes at points. All of us, even believers at some point, can... Default to being like a Pharisee, to Phariseeism, and having this mentality that we can earn what we want by just being able to perform to certain standards. But in the extreme, it, it is a picture of law. It can be easily a picture of people who think they are Christians who are actually relying on their moral performance, moral conformity, in order to be approved by God and. What Jesus is really saying is it's decision time. Today is a day of decision. And he puts the ball back into our court to decide what we're going to do with grace and with the relentless God of pursuit. And we have to decide today, do we want God for what we can get from God or do we want God for himself? That's what Jesus is revealing to us. I think this is easy to see in our culture because most southern Christians envision sin as just breaking the rules. Most southern Christians say breaking the rules is sin. But in the story, what Jesus is teaching is that sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is putting yourself in the place of God trying to be your own savior. And that older sons are sinners 
in need of a savior and that being a good person and a hard worker and relying on that to save you will keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. And Christmas is the story of the gospel. What the gospel says is that it's not keeping the rules, but it's realizing that we are in need of a savior. The shepherds were told that there's good news today. A savior has been born And we have to reach that place in life where we say, God, I need to be saved from my sins and I need the Lord Jesus. And we can see that in the sinners, the the first category with the younger brothers. We know they were in the pigsties of life and we can see that. But but the point Jesus is making is that older brothers are just as alienated from the father. And the Lord Jesus is saying you can be outside the household of the father just as easy by trying to save yourself as you can by breaking the rules. And what God wants us to do is embrace the love that he's offering us through grace. And grace is, grace is important for us to understand. Grace means that you are saved through faith. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Grace does not mean everyone is going to go to heaven because God is a God of love. That's not what the Bible means by grace. Grace means God was a prodigal God who spent everything he had in giving his son Jesus to make it possible for our sins to be taken away. But you have to bow your knee to him as Lord and receive that forgiveness. And when you understand the cost, the infinite cost of grace to you, it compels you to to want to obey the Father out of love, not out of duty. That's what God is teaching you in 2020. He's showing you his love. And the Lord Jesus is saying to us that because of the love that he gave to us as the third son, the better son, the true older brother that we needed, then we are compelled to love the father and to love God. And I'm very afraid that people in Tuscaloosa don't understand this. Everywhere I go, I ask people about their, what they believe, and I constantly hear people tell me, I think I'm pretty good compared to most folks. And I'm talking about people that, if you lined up evangelicals, they would say, that, that person's living in sin. But because sin has become very difficult in our culture to actually be identified, there's, most people in Tuscaloosa, I think, are older sons, not younger sons. And I pray today that if there's part of your life today that you see a tendency, and if you're here today and you're lost because you realize I'm trusting in being good, and the only reason I came here today was to knock out Christmas message, today is the day of salvation. And you can believe all the facts about Jesus are true. It's possible to believe the facts. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to earth, died on the cross, and was resurrected, but... It's possible to believe that in your mind intellectually, but never have a a will, a volitional opening of your life to him and asking him to be your savior. The question is, who are you trusting to save you, yourself or Jesus? And so when the Bible says that we have to have a trust in Jesus, what that means is receiving him into your life as savior and making him the leader of your life. And the reason that If you're here and you're saved today and you've been a Christian, the reason that 2020 ought to be your best year ever is because you see the infinite cost of your salvation. 
Because what we needed was a third son, and we got him in the name of Jesus Christ. And I praise God for that, because he said, I am willing to pay the cost. The gift of salvation was not free to God. And on the cross, Jesus was our true older brother who became poor so that we could become rich in Christ. On the cross, he did not get the robe of honor. He got stripped naked and beaten so that we might be restored to the Father. On the cross, Jesus did not get the best ring. He got a crown of thorns. He didn't get the fattened calf in his honor. He got the sour vinegar until he said it's finished, paid in full. And the gospel is understood like this, and it makes us realize that we have to come inside and celebrate. And so today as we close, I'm asking you the question, are you inside the household today? Have you repented and come inside and said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I needed you and you saved me and I'm in your household today. And because of the grace that I've seen expended, I want to live for you like I never have before. Serve you, seek you, make you the highest priority in my life. But if you're here today and you would say, I'm like the older son, I'm outside the household and I've been bitter toward God and I have never really seen it until today. If that's your heart today, I want to ask you to bow right now. And just in the quietness of this room, would you not open your life to Christ? The Bible says we're saved by faith, not works. Would you place your trust in Jesus right now? Even where you're sitting in a silent prayer, just pray, Lord Jesus, all of who I am, I give to you as my Lord. Forgive me of my sins Come into my life. Save me. Give me sonship again and bring me back into the home. I come into the home to honor the Father because I see His love for me. And here on Christmas week, I want to surrender to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www.rbc-tuscaloosa.com. Have a great day and God bless.